Hi, welcome to the Social Innovation Lab, a podcast dedicated to making sure you are in the know with everything happening on social media. Social Innovation Lab. I'm your host, Dulce Matos, and for this episode, I have the pleasure of having two brilliant guests, Tim Dillon and Lewis Middingham. Tim Dillon is the SVP of Real-Time and Virtual Worlds at MediaMonks. With two decades of experience exploring interactivity, experiential, immersive, emerging tech, design, animation, and digital, for the best part of the last decade, Tim helmed the immersive team at Moving Picture Company as head of real-time and immersive content. Louis Smithingham is the SVP of Innovation and Creative Solutions. With 15 years of experience in the entertainment industry, including several Guinness World Record wins, Lumiere, and Tech Emmys, Lewis lives and breathes advanced imaging, designing pipelines from everything from features to fabrics. He has been profiled in the New York Times and Campaign, and also has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Business Insider, Sports Video Group, Ad Age, Fast Company, and many more. Most recently, Lewis was named to Business Insider's list of the top 24 agency executives leading advertisers' charge into the metaverse and Web3. Joining us from Los Angeles, California and Raleigh, North Carolina, Tim, Tim and Lewis. Tim, Lewis, true or false? Does every brand and entertainment sector out there need to be chasing success in the metaverse? I hear you guys. Yeah, does every brand need to chase that success? Yes, is the short answer to that. But it's more nuanced than that, right? In terms of what does that really mean for them? What lens are they looking through? Is it a entertainment or music or sports or finance question for them? And actually, is it about their products or is it about the audience? And which part of that is success? And lastly, is that what does that mean for now, you know, currently versus what does that mean in six months or 12 months? And it's our place, I think, to advise people on how the space is evolving, right, Lewis? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing here is defining a what the metaverse is as a company as a starting point towards success in the sense that I think a lot of people pigeonhole the metaverse into being just JPEGs of gorillas or just video games. And it's a lot more. It really represents a massive foundational shift as it relates to culture, business, economics into this massive virtualization space. And, you know, a textile company has just as much of a valid role to play as a large-scale gaming company or sports property or an entertainment company. There's a wide range of different ways that people can engage and people can engage with success. And whether that is virtualizing your pipelines or generating new entertainment properties or even looking at new ways to drive IP, it really matters as to how you define success in the metaverse overall. I like this idea of building what it means to achieve success in this new space, not only for every brand out there, but especially to specific brands. And how do you think for users and for ourselves as well, how do you think that these digital worlds are changing the way that we enjoy, consume and interact with these timeless forms of entertainment such as sports is? There's a lot going on there at the moment. So how do you think this is changing us? That's a big question. I'll answer in two ways. And one is a longer wormhole. I think in a primary way, the way we engage with entertainment has changed. And if something isn't interactive at this point, it does feel broken in the sense that so many of younger generations have grown up playing games. My earliest memories, and this will date me, are playing games on a pro forma and 
like straight up my earliest human memories. And I think as we engage with these spaces, it doesn't negate IRL. It just means that the way we look at stuff is different and the way we engage with media. And for some younger generations, like I think foundationally, things are completely changing in the sense that like, and this, I'll keep this brief, but there is this theory, you know, if you look at the number of images a person is exposed to in a given day. So my parents grew up in Manchester in the 50s and they probably saw, I mean, Manchester in the 50s was rough. So they probably saw maybe 100 images a day if they could see through the smog. And then growing up in the 90s in San Diego, California, I probably saw thousands, maybe tens of thousands in a given day. But a kid today growing up in a city is probably seeing millions of images per day, particularly if they have access to phones and computers and tablets and even like screens and cars and the way we perceive vision and the way we perceive imagery is changing because of that exposure. There's a test called the persistence of vision where it's a card that's black and white on either side and it spins. And the point at which it turns to gray, the point at which we stop perceiving individual frames is the persistence of vision. It's how cinema is made. And, you know, in the 1910s, 16 frames a second was good enough. Wow. But now younger generations are able to perceive images at 240 hertz, which means that we're perceiving differently. You look at like medium like TikTok, where and we've done a lot of really interesting live streams. And the way you approach that in TikTok is very, very different. The cutting techniques, the way you engage with the media, the way you address the camera is all different. And we're seeing that play out in the metaverse as well. You know, with some of the amazing work we've done with sports leagues, bringing people to connect in these virtual spaces, it's doesn't feel kludgy. It doesn't feel weird anymore. It's just how we engage and how we interact. And I think brands and entertainment properties need to realize that this change is fundamental. It's not just a, hey, more people like the the short stuff now. Like if we were hunter gatherers, our way of hunting mammoths have changed completely because the way our attention spans and the way we perceive images has changed. And it's not, I think we get too much press of it being a bad thing. And it's not. The fact that a baby looks at a magazine now and tries to interact with it the way they would interact with an iPad means that literally the way we perceive language has changed. And I think brands and companies need to realize and embrace that and lean into the fact that we have a duality of identities. I think Tim said something earlier about how powerful identity is in that space. And it's something where our virtual and physical selves are molding together. Yeah, I guess I would add to that that it's right time, right place. And the stars align with these types of phenomena and trends and mega trends. And that's certainly what the metaverse feels like, right? It feels like this big overarching trend. And out there, outside of advertising and brands, even in culture, generally people are aware of this virtual world that's being built. They're aware of avatars and identities and what you can wear. The rise of Web3 and this idea of ownership that you might be able to build something and own it is an interesting idea that we talk about. And it's just the beginning of that, right? So these new audiences right now, like Lewis is saying, that are growing up with different touch points and are going to come through this industry over the next 10 years and even beyond are going to be bringing with them these new ideas that our current generations are only just starting to understand. So in 10 years, 15 years from now, people find it very normal to own a collection of digital items, to value that digital collection of products in a completely different way and trade and sell and buy them, which changes advertising and branding, you know? And so we're just at the beginning of that, you know, in sports, you know, Lewis, you mentioned our sports area, the NBA project we've just done with Horizons for the finals that's live right now. If you jump into a headset, you can go into Horizons and it's an experiential hangout space. It's a gamified 
space. It's a good example of how a brand and a large entity like the NBA in conjunction with someone like Meta and Horizon Worlds can build something early that you can imagine very different in 10 years time where it would be much bigger. There'd be a lot more people there. So we're involved in building these early spaces and they're all different right now, but eventually they'll converge in interesting ways. Okay. Well, as of right now, social media is where this huge portion of users are getting inspiration to shop and network with others, entertain ourselves. And with how technology is progressing, this velocity and the recent investment in VR headsets from Meta, how long do you think until social media shifts to this mainly digital world? And also, how much does adoption of this widespread metaverse usage do you think that relies on technology progressing and users adopting this technology? How do you see that two things happening in time? Hasn't it already shifted? In the sense, like I'm not necessarily saying every single person in the world is putting on a VR headset and the base physics logistics of doing that, we don't have enough cadmium or lithium or cobalt in the world to, or helium to put a headset on every single human being. But at the same time, I certainly have large corners of my social life, which believe it or not, is rather large in a virtual space where I interact with friends and friend groups in virtual spaces. And whether it is in VR, we've, we've done amazing work in the Horizon Worlds platform where we're building these worlds. But also whether it's in Valheim or Fortnite or Red Dead Redemption or a wide range of different games, realistically, I find it hard to differentiate between social media and interconnected multiplayer gaming because they serve effectively the same purpose at this point in time. We're on those platforms roadmap too. You know, like if Lewis and I had our way, these things would happen overnight, right? You take the meta, which was Facebook, but now meta ecosystem. You look at Instagram, WhatsApp, Horizon Worlds, Facebook itself. The teams there have announced they want to take NFTs and minting directly in Instagram. So it's those types of shifts that is on their roadmap, you know, that we can't actually influence that will shift this forward. So whether you could collect or buy things digitally inside Instagram, shop it and have that be shoppable, whether you can access Horizon Worlds, their VR platform actually through a web browser, that's a big shift that goes from being all the amazing early adopters and existing headset you know, quest audience shifts to being a massive web audience. And that's true if you look at other platforms outside of Meta, you look at Roblox or you look at even something like Decentraland. These are all slightly different platforms with different roadmaps, but they're all kind of marching in the same direction, not necessarily to get integrated with each other yet, but yeah, to get shoppable, yes, because they want revenue in the platforms for sure, but also to get more integrated with web. So people can just get there easier, you know? And you get to these great places where because these are such a crucial part of people's social lives. And what I love about virtual worlds and the metaverse in general is the accessibility aspects of it. And the fact that you can represent yourself as who you want to be. We just launched this amazing, honestly insane project with Roblox where it's like Lizzo and Gale. My wife's current favorite song is Gale's song that we had to censor for the video, ABCFU, ABCDFU, which is awesome song. But one of my favorite reviews 
reviews off the piece and it got well reviewed and all the press and all that sort of stuff. And it was cool. Like it was super, super cool. But the thing that was like genuinely moving is there was a disabled YouTuber who reviewed the experience and how it made him feel and how he was able to engage and be himself in the space in a unique way. And some of the tools that Roblox had specifically for accessibility, people who have extreme motor difficulties are incredible. And it's interesting as a gamer, accessibility settings are totally normal in pretty much every contemporary game. There's a setting where for colorblindness, I'm colorblind. There's no setting on Netflix. So like I'll watch a show on Netflix and be like, wow, that was weird that that was a Western and then realize that, oh yeah, I'm colorblind. That's why it looked weird. In games, I don't have to have that. And that sort of accessibility and that level of meaning is really, really cool. And that's how social goes to the next level is creating spaces where everybody is welcome. Everybody is invited. And yes, gaming spaces have a reputation of being historically relatively toxic. But I think as more voices get into these spaces, I know the more that polices itself and the more you get to interesting stuff, you know, you look at, I I just see this world changing in a really meaningful way as people become accessible. And I remember the early days of social as well. Friendster was a gnarly, horrible place and it's changed to being a lot different. And so it's about making identity, about making our connections. And I do think social, like I don't see them as different in the sense that I know that Instagram isn't, you know, Horizon Worlds, but at the same time in an interoperable space, it is. There's kind of a walled garden uh, dynamic going on with some of the platforms. So, for example, we love Roblox. Roblox, once you're in there for moderation, safety, community reasons, wants to look after their audience, right? So they want to make sure that all the age groups that are hanging out there are safe and not being trolled by anyone. Therefore, there's rules about clicking on links and ending up on random websites. So as a platform, they have a reason to not click on a link and not end up on a website where that user, there's a duty of care that they don't want someone to end up at the wrong place. But then the inverse dynamic is it means, well, we can't use that platform to link to a website for a brand or make it shoppable. So as things get safer, they also get more interoperable and better for us to build experiences in, you know? So this can't happen faster in terms of like these spaces being safe. But, you know, this stuff will evolve in terms of what the things you can and can't do. And they're very user-centric, right? Like how is it good for the audience? Because all these platforms want to keep as many people active there monthly, daily, yearly as they can. And I think there's this weird perception of platforms like Roblox and Fortnite and Horizon Worlds that it's just for kids and that the graphics are limited and all that sort of stuff. So you look at our our experience I talked about, our Logitech experience, that is a high resolution, high complexity, literally using PBR for some of their outfits, motion capture project. It has incredible fidelity. It's an amazing piece. And also Roblox, like I, this is awesome outing myself as a nerd like there are some really amazing high resolution tank games that are similar to world of tanks on roblox but have frankly less kludgy and less sketchy social components to them than world of tanks does in some cases and like i play both they're both super interesting and that space changes fortnite in the same way has some incredible high resolution spaces Horizon Worlds, it's really what you make of it. I think kids are the first people in this space because they're more creative and they're more open to these things. And it feels inevitable and natural for them to find these as social spaces. And we see that more and more in as we come through the pandemic. One of the most meaningful projects I've done, we broadcast a major sports league. And in some of the reviews, there were people talking about how, you know, they hadn't seen their family in months. And this is how they connected. And it was like hanging out. That's awesome. 
And that's super meaningful. And as we normalize and as this stuff becomes more normal to interact, it's fascinating. You know, and I think we see these changes and we see the way the metaverse shapes our lives. It certainly shaped my life. I moved in part out of New York City to get closer to some of this sort of action and to be in a space where I feel closer to it. Guys, that was really super, super interesting. I am very thankful for your time and your knowledge. And I also got to learn a lot. So I think I will have to Google myself a few of the concepts you just, you just shared. My favorite bit was how these platforms are reshaping the way we socialize and we respect each other, how we are learning again how to relate. I think that's very important. I guess this is it for today. It was super, super interesting. And I am very thankful for you. So thanks for coming. See you next time. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Social Innovation Lab podcast and see you next week.